Good morning, New Life Manatee Springs. Oh, come on. I'm all hopped up on coffee and prayer. Good morning, New Life Manatee Springs. Good morning, everyone. Today, I'm going to talk about this very famous passage in the book of 1 John. You've probably, if you think about the book of 1 John, you know your Bible a little bit, you probably know that this phrase is in the book of 1 John. Three words, it is the title of today's message. It is the message uh, that I will preach this sermon from. It'll be the theme. Three words, God is love. God is love. In the whole Bible, we only see that phrase twice, and they're both in the book of First John. And as we've been going through a series on First John, I've been waiting for this particular Sunday to come along, to tell you, to talk to you about God is love. And today in this sermon, we're going to define what love is, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what love is, that word love, what in the world does it mean, everyone uses it in different circumstances. I'm going to give you some misconceptions, so I'm going to tell you some stories, I know you like to hear stories, some stories from my childhood, a quick four stories about just like silly little misconceptions I had as a kid, and that's going to lead us to misconceptions about love, what love is that I had as a child, because I think our society, our world around us has some pretty serious misconceptions about what love really is. So here's some cute little stories. You ready for some cute little stories of little Joey Kirkendall? So back in the day, I would see pictures of myself and my family, my brother. They would be in color. But when I looked at pictures of my grandparents or my parents when they were kids, those pictures would be in so I just assumed, raise your hand if you were with me, that back in the day, everything was just in black and white, and at some point it turned into color. Like the, the, the movie Wizard of Oz really exemplified this in my head. How many of you as a kid thought, oh, it just it used to be black and white? Okay, well, thank you, Abby. You, no one else, just me and Abby? Okay, thank you, thank you. I see that hand, Jenny. And she's still a kid, so she might be learning just now that it, it didn't used to be. In black and white. It used to be in color. It was the, you, you know the answer. Here's another one. Uh, a watermelon uh, seed misconception. So back in my day, watermelons had these big black seeds. I know that because of crossbreeding, there's seedless watermelons. And I need to tell everyone who's 20 years old or younger what a watermelon seed is. Does anybody remember big black watermelon seed? Okay, now the hands. Okay, good. So one of the funnest parts of the watermelon eating at a picnic outside was loading up your mouth as a little boy with the watermelon seeds and pretending like you were like a little machine gun, spitting them at the other little boys and they'd sneak up on you and spit them at you. But you could never, here's the misconception, you can never swallow one because if you swallowed accidentally a watermelon seed, it would grow in your belly. And as a little kid, I would see like a pregnant woman or let's be honest, just a guy with a big belly. And I would think, shouldn't have swallowed that watermelon seed. That's just what I thought. That's, that's, that's what I thought. Uh, so I have a couple more stories, a little misconceptions like that. But I thought at this point in the sermon, I would do an advertisement a commercial. And you're probably wondering like, what in the world? You can't pause a sermon and do a commercial. You can't do that. But I think you're so used to it. You watch TV, if you watch YouTube, commercials just pop up out of you. So a pop up at you. So here is a commercial popping out at you. And it is this, because we're talking about kids. It's an advertisement, a commercial for our kids' 
ministry. And so you might not realize this, but there's a bunch of kids, downstairs, a whole mess of kids. Like we are really blessed. I was talking to some other pastors this week, uh, churches about our size, and, and some of them were saying, yeah, we have no kids, we have zero kids. Like our congregation is just older, it is what it is, I'm pastoring them and pastoring them well, but we have zero kids. We have so many kids, like I feel like I need to say, guys, slow down. We have so many, we're busting. Like sometimes there's 30, 40 kids downstairs or in this little elementary, uh, we call it the middle school room actually right here. Uh, so we have a lot of kids. It's a great, it's a wonderful problem to have. Here's the commercial piece of that, a 30 second commercial. We would love to have help in our kids' Ministry. So I'm looking at everybody in here and saying, if you can pass a background check and you love Jesus, we would love to have you helping with our kids' ministry. And it's world class. It's it's really well done. We did a we just did a summer camp a couple weeks ago. What's happening downstairs is not babysitting. Those kids are learning about the Bible. Their love for Jesus is growing. It's a very serious thing. And so if you could pass a background check and if you love Jesus, would you fill out an application online and would you consider? And here's here's the ask. I'm asking you to consider serving 10 times in a whole year. So it's less than once a month. If some of you would do that, our kids' ministry rotation, it would be wonderful because a lot of the, the workers, the volunteers, they're down there for quite a few Sundays in a row. They're not up here enough. They're just serving and they would love, it would be really cool. So if you do that, you could be a kid's helper. We won't just throw you into it being a teacher unless you wanted to and we would give you training. So that's the commercial. Commercial breakover, we Okay. You didn't even know what happened, did you? You're like, well, that was the commercial? That was it? Yep, that was it. Back to the story. One more misconception, uh, silly, and then I will get into the misconception about love, and then I will, I promise, get to the scripture and we will read it. But I wanna preface it with misconceptions I had as a kid. But one more funny one, a misconception I had. I had a friend who told me this, and I assumed that his parents told him. And it's really funny and really sinister, my friend told me that an ice cream truck playing music played music because the ice cream truck was out of ice cream. <laughs> and I believe for about a half a summer, I would see an ice cream truck go by. I'm like, man, those kids up the, up the road must have ate all that ice cream. They got no more left. They're playing the song. It means they have no more left. Which as a parent, I'm like, that's... That's sinister, but that's, that's really, I mean, think about it. Like, tell you, you don't have to worry about kids asking you for ice cream money. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up here. Here's the last one. Uh, misconceptions. I, I said all those stories to get to this one. Misconceptions about love. And as a kid, as, as adults, I think we're inundated with Hollywood uh, conceptions of what love is, true love's kiss, uh, fairy tales, happily ever after, things and phrases. Like as a kid, I remember hearing the phrase, you fall in love. And I remember like, what, what does that mean? Like what... Like, it just happens accidentally. You fall in love, and, and, and adults were like, oh, yeah, and you could fall right out of it, too. And I was like, what is that? What is love? What, is the, what, what really is this? And I remember as a kid hearing uh, an adult say, trying to, trying, just giving a, a general answer to a little kid, I think it was first grade or something, that uh, babies came from when uh, a man and a woman loved each other very much. And in my head, I was like, well, 
if that, that's where babies come from and you can just fall into love, well then what if, uh, what if I fall in love with a little first grader and she falls in love with me as a little first grader? I can't even make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. How are we supposed to have a kid? And it was very confusing as a little kid about what love is. And I think those misconceptions in our society are pretty prevalent, 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 thank you, over our society that love is just a feeling. Love is a, a, a romantic, physical love is the highest form of love as far as society and Hollywood and fairy tales would have you believe that that's really the highest, the best form of love is this romantic, physical feeling of love. And there is much, much, much more to the definition of love. And so my thesis today is this, my hope is this, that we're blown away by what love really is, by God's true love for us, and that we'd, we'd be blown away that, that we. Like, it's one thing to believe that, oh yeah, God loves the world, God loves everyone, but it's a whole nother thing to truly believe that God loves me, that God loves you. And that's the sermon today, God loves you. Would you turn to your neighbor on each side and say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. All right, let's get to the word of God. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, not to be confused with the gospel of John, but towards the very end of your Bible. If you brought a Bible today, would you turn to 1 John chapter four? We're gonna read a few verses. And every time I read the word love or loves or loved, I want you, you don't have to shout it, but I just want you to say it. So stick with me as we read this word of God. If you're able, would you stand with me? It's gonna start off with John calling the listeners dear friends. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John says, dear friends, let us, now let's try that again. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is there it is. There's the title of our sermon. There's the point of, of, of this whole passage, God is love. And then this, verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might believe through him. Verse 10, this is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love sorry, one another. And then verse 12, and then this is interesting. Before I start reading it, like think about like, he's gonna say no one's ever seen God. We, we don't, he's like the wind that blows. We don't, the spirit, we don't see him, but we can know him when we love each other we can see God, that love that's between us, and people looking in to the church can say, oh, that God must be there, there is love. So verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Lord, we pray to you now, and we thank you that your word is eternal, that you are proclaiming in this scripture that you are love. And Lord, may we understand that this morning. May you give us wisdom inside, open our minds and our hearts to understanding 
this beautiful truth, eternal truth that you are love and you love us. We praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, amen. amen. You may be seated. God loves you. That's point number one. You all, you all looked at each other and said, God loves you. Good job, congregation. God loves you. But what does it mean to say that you are loved? What, what is this word? Once again, we're kind of back to misconceptions about what love is. We use the word love in so many different sort of uh, uses. And I think that in the English language, as we have it now, no other word is been stripped of its definition because no other word is used in so many different ways to mean so very different ideas. The same word, love, could mean something like God loves us and it could mean something as silly as someone saying, I love Chinese food. So let me tell you a story. Would you like to hear, uh, Erica doesn't know I'm gonna share this story, but our story of how we met and started dating, then we said I love you to each other. Would you like to hear that story? Okay, all the guys just kind of politely nod and the girls are pretty excited about it. So uh, back in 2004, I was a pastor at New Life North uh, working with the college young adults. Erica moved to Colorado and started the School of Worship that New Life used to have and Scott and Laura. Anybody else here do the School of Worship? Quite a few people over the years graduated from that program. My wife was in it and we just had similar friends a common, you know, hanging out together. And I had this thing called uh, in my office, like office hours, a very young pastor uh, to meet other college and uh, 20-somethings, young adults. Anybody could come at three and have tea at three with me and whoever else staff was in the office. And this one young girl just kept coming to tea at three. And sometimes it would just be me and her, which is kind of like, well, bonus date, free date, cool. And I, we both liked each other. And then uh, we would just hang out in groups together, all go see a movie, and her and I would be sitting together. It was just a kind of a fun, if you're in that dating uh, world, there's a lot of pressure. And, and it's, it was just a good way to, to meet someone in a group setting like that. It was really wonderful. And then finally, I think she would say, finally, we went on our first official date. Uh, we uh, began to say we liked each other. We began referring to each other as boyfriend and girlfriend. And that was wonderful. And then like the, the next step, at least in my mind, of like how this needs to progress, is I needed to, because I was looking to the future, I needed to say, I love you. And I wondered, like, is she going to say it back? And I thought, I'd make this a special thing. So I wrote, I love you on a little piece of paper. I put it inside this little shell box with a golden clasp. I thought it was precious. Right, girls? Right? Yeah. Thank you. The boys are just snickering. The girls are like, oh, how precious. Uh, So I I gave it to uh, my future wife. And she said, I love you. And I said, I love you. And I thought, like, that's a unique rite of passage in, a, in a, the, the American dating world of, of getting to that point of saying, I love you. And I just thought, what a funny thing to say, though, because like here I am considering Erica and her hope and future, and, and I'm like waiting to say I love you to her. But later, earlier that morning, I probably said something like, I love Chinese food. And so like, how is, how in the world, like how in the world is this the same word, and it's so different? 
So I wanna talk to you today about definitions. And the defini- we'll get to the definition of love in just a moment, the biblical definition. Maybe you know the Greek word for love. I'll give you the quiz in just a little bit. Um, definitions are important. And I don't think it's any surprise in our world, in our society, 2023, that our society is moving further and further away from a biblical Christian worldview. And as words change definitions, some very important words are drifting further and further from a biblical Christian understanding. I'll give you two examples, kind of hot button issues right now of of in our world, like the the... The word marriage, it's, it's, I, would say, I think we'd say, oh, it's, it's drifted from an understanding of a biblical Christian worldview. For instance, uh, the, the thing that I would say about marriage is that it's a covenant. Like, it's, not just a, it's not just a promise. It's not just a commitment. It's something that we call a covenant. It's, it's a sacrament of a covenant between a man and a woman. And that definition has drifted. And, and so I'll say this. That even in Colorado, if, if two people are living together, what's it called, cohabitating, and there's, there's no commitment, no promise, but they're just living together, and they share things, maybe they bought a dog together, maybe they even bought a, a car or a house together, and they've been living together for a certain amount of time, then the state of Colorado says they are married. And they can, get, they can file jointly on taxes. They can get spouse benefits from health insurances and things like that because Colorado State has a definition where they just say, oh, if you're living together, I guess that's, you're married. And as a Christian, I would say, well, the very fabric of what it means to be married is, is a promise, a commitment, and, and more importantly, a covenant. Because somehow in, in a covenant relationship, we see between a man and a woman a marriage that, that in the Bible it says, well, this is like Christ and the church. I wrote this down. The sacrament of marriage is like Christ and the church, a holy union between a man and a woman. Marriage is not just cohabitation. A biblical marriage is not just cohabitation, not just friends, for goodness sakes, not just friends with benefits. Marriage, in a biblical sense, is a covenant. And, and I think the our society has drifted from a biblical Christian narrative that, that shouldn't surprise us. And the definition of marriage, we, we would hold to the covenant definition, but it's in our society that the definition has drifted. Uh, another example would be uh, the, the debate. Another, you're gonna talk to me after, and I know that, and, and some of you, I'm trying to say this very tenderly because it is, it is a hot button issue uh, that, that raises a lot of emotions, but the definition of human life, like where people are talking, like where does human life actually begin? Is it conception? Is it birth? There's a debate in our society and, and a biblical worldview. Uh, does uh, human life um, when does a human life become human or when does the human life become separate from the mom? These are all very hot button issues right now. And it really comes down to the definition. Like what is a human life? As Christians, we see from scripture, humans are special, cherished. We can't discriminate, I would say, looking at the text of scripture on human life based on age or deformity or yet to be formed, we can't discriminate because a human life by God's design and love is cherished, special, holy, sanctified. So I gave you two examples of, of how the very definition is being like 
debated. Like, what is marriage? Yeah, what, what is human life? And I think here's where I'm going with this. The definition of love, because our society has drifted from a Christian biblical worldview, the definition of love is very far out there. Like the idea of love in our society is, is all about a feeling. It's all about the, the warm, wonderful feeling of physical intimacy and romance. And whenever, you know, the, the, the Hollywood movies show love, they always show it. They portray it as a physical feeling of romance. That's the highest form of love. I want to tell you that there's a much higher form of love, the biblical definition of love. And we can get to that definition in 1 Corinthians 13. Are you familiar with this passage? If you're not, uh, it's your homework assignment to read 1 Corinthians 13. As soon as you start reading it, I bet you'll say, oh, I've heard this at some wedding. And it should be read at weddings. It is the definition of love. The Greek word for the love that God has for us is the word, do you know? Agape, yeah, it's this Greek word. You've probably heard it before if you don't know it. The agape kind of love is a God kind of love for humanity. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that it's patient, it's kind. Go read it for yourself, look at it, memorize it, it's wonderful. That true love, this agape does not boast, it doesn't dishonor, it's not self-seeking, but seeks the best for others. It's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't promote evil, but it always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails, is what this passage says. It's your homework assignment. Go memorize it, dwell on it, read it, think it. Like, oh, this is the love that God has for us. And not just a philosophical, he wants us to know, but he wants to show us his love. Point number two is this, a three-point sermon. Point number two is God showed his love by sending his son. This doesn't, he doesn't just say it. He doesn't just talk about it. He shows his love by sending his son. I'm going to reread the passage we, we read already as we were standing, and uh, this sounds a whole lot like John 3.16. Do you know John 3.16? One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, and it should be. It's a wonderful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Listen to this. And, and this is just one more argument that these are probably, almost certainly, the, the same Johns, First John and the gospel writer John. First John 4.9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And love, by the agape biblical definition, is a kind of love that is sacrificing. It's a kind of love that is serving. And we would say that, well, God the Father didn't just send his son, like I'm gonna send somebody else to do it. We believe as Christians that this might be uh, new to some of you, if you're like new to church, like what, does, what do you really believe about Jesus? We believe Jesus claimed, and we, we hope and put our trust that his claim is true, that he is God himself, that the son and the father are one in being. Jesus said, if you've seen the father, you've, uh, if you've seen me, excuse me, you have seen the father. He says, I and the father am one. He says many claims, that he claims to be God himself and so God the Father didn't just send somebody else. God the Father became 
human, and it's Jesus, and the three, and the one, the mystery of the Trinity. I wish I could explore these things. Maybe we will in a further sermon. But God came to this earth as one of us, born in like a stable, placed in a manger. He washed the feet of others. He touched lepers. He served. He went to the cross. Willingly, he went to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And this isn't just a past tense thing, like, oh, God did love the world that he came, but God does love the world. And point number three is this, the third point, the, la- the final point of this sermon is God is pursuing you, even now, like every one of us. God is pursuing you and inviting you into his love. Now, this idea reminds me of my favorite parable. I have a favorite parable. You know, Jesus is the great parable teacher. Uh, I forget how many parables he told, but my very favorite one, maybe this is your favorite as well, is the, the story of the prodigal son. Anybody else that's your favorite? My favorite. I got to read it yesterday. My, my son, Max, we have four boys. Third born is Max, and he's reading through a kid's Bible, reads a couple pages a day. And just yesterday, we were on the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son goes to his father and says, dad, you know when you're gonna die, I'm gonna get all the money. Can I have that money now and go off and spend it? Can you imagine the audacity? And then the double audacity of the father actually gives it to this little punk. And the little punk goes out and he is a wild living. His other brother says he was spending it on prostitutes. He wastes all of his father's money. And then it says there's a famine in the land. And he, he's brought to nothing. And the, the passage says he's looking at pigs, longing to eat what they're eating. And so yesterday, me and Max were talking about that. I was like, what do pigs eat? It's like, oh, it's disgusting. Why would you eat that? I was like, well, he had nothing else. He spent it all. And there was a famine in the land. No one had anything. And he especially had nothing. He had everything. And he comes to his senses. And while the sun was still a long ways off, do you know what it says? The father comes running to the son. This is what I mean by this third point. God is pursuing you and inviting you into his love. And Jesus tells this parable about the love of this earthly father to say that's what God is like. When we come to our senses and come to him, he runs. While we are still a long way off. Think about that. Like we're, God is running after you in his love to find you and to tell you that he has sacrificed himself for you and for your mistakes and for your sin. This is the gospel. Gospel means good news. That's what we hope. That's what we, we say. This is the whole story of the Bible is God chasing after us in his love. There's a really good poem. I, I've quoted it before. Written in the 1800s, 1890 by a guy named Francis Thompson. The poem is called Hound of Heaven. And it's, it's basically comparing God to this loving big dog that's hunting after us and sniffing us down to find us with his love. And the poem becomes even more meaningful. And I might get emotional just thinking about it because uh, Francis Thompson was uh, an opium addict in in the late 1800s in London. There was an epidemic of opium addicts, homeless, prowling the streets, just only looking for the next high. And here Francis Thomas is Uh, a a strong Christian believer, but someone ripped apart in his life 
by sin and addiction and just the next high. And he writes this poem about how God was chasing him all along. He says, he starts this poem saying, I fled him, I fled God, down the nights, down the days, I fled him. Down the arches of the years, I fled him down the labyrinth of ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And the poem is quite long and it's this tracking of God to this person who's actively running away from God. And some of you, I imagine, you'd say that's, that's been part of your life, running away from God. And God is like this wonderful big dog and his love hunting you down to lift you up. The end of the poem, there's this line that says, you drove me away trying to find love, but when you drove me away, he used the word drovest, when you drovest me away, you drove love away. You're trying to find love and running away from me trying to find it, but we know, looking at this passage, we proclaim and hope God is love. The poem ends with God standing above this fallen addict, prodigal, saying, arise, clasp my hand, and come. And so as we um, consider this, I think of the, the darkness in this world. I think of, you know, K KJ, who's one of our uh, Manitou missionaries. We, we support them with projects. You, you need to meet KJ and Jenny Sue after the service, by the way, um, and just hear their story. It's, it's wonderful. It's incredible. He was up here asking this question. I already had it in my notes, and it's, it's really cool how I didn't tell KJ I was gonna say this, but a lot of people would, would ask. Like, okay, so you're telling me. So you're in a sermon, New Life Manitou. You're telling me God loves me, and he's all good, and he's all powerful. Well, then where was he? That was the question KJ said that this African woman was saying when she was fleeing with her sons. Like, where is God? There's God in the midst of the, the, all of life's shadows and darkness and suffering. And if God knew, I think about this question a lot. Like if God knew, you know, he creates creation and it all seems good, then it seems like, like five minutes later, the humans are destroying creation and turning their back on God. And if God knows everything, well, then didn't God know that the humans were gonna fall? And didn't he know that there was gonna be suffering? And didn't he know that there was gonna be darkness and death? Then why did he even do that? And I, I wonder, this isn't an answer, but I wonder if, like what we just experienced this morning, worshiping the Lord, lifting his name high, in the midst of the darkness and the shadows. On Tuesday, we're gonna meet back here, 7.30, uh, 6.30, and just have a, an hour of extended just worship, prayer, coming before the Lord. And I wonder, well, isn't that beautiful that by free will, because you know, a lot of theologians, philosophers would say, well, that's the problem of evil. If God is all good and he's all loving, well, then why is there evil? And, and some people could you know, throw out some themes, like, well, if there's free will, well, then there needs to be a choice, and those... Choices probably have repercussions. And so someone can freely will to choose to hurt you. And maybe many of you, maybe some of you have been victims of horrible things. So where was God? Or some of you could probably say, like I can, that even in the midst of some pretty horrible things that have happened and around me or to me, that God worked it out somehow 
for the good. Like someone not knowing what they're seeing, seeing a surgeon cut into someone to remove a cancer. You say, hey, that guy's, he's cutting him. He's hurting him. He is cutting him. He is hurting him. But it's for his ultimate good. But that still doesn't answer the question. Like, well, where is God then? He's going to work it out for the good. And some of you would say, well, that's, honestly, maybe some of you would say, well, that's sometimes baloney. Like I've had bad things happen to me and nothing good came out of it. Well, another hope, another theme in the problem of evil is that God will, that, that in the end there will be judgment for the people that do wicked things and take advantage. There will be judgment. God will rule and reign fully and he will restore all things. But that, that still doesn't say, well, where is God right now then? If, he, if he's coming later, like where is he now though? And the answer that's it's in the text of scripture and the answer that's in the piece that I read is that he has come to earth. God himself, the creator of all, the sun, moon, the skies, the stars, the sky, the sea, and everything that is in it. The, the creator of all came to earth as one of us. And the, the cross that we have in the center of our room is where he willingly went to die. And his death on the cross is suffering and pain. And so when we ask, well, where is God? He's, he's not only with you, but he's actually with you suffering like he he came and he died on the cross and there's suffering and of course we as Christians we, we always jump to the resurrection and the good news of the resurrection that he conquered death but don't overlook the the sacrifice that Christ made for you his atoning sacrifice it says in this passage this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins would you stand with me as we consider these words and the band can come forward, communion service as well can come forward. We receive communion together and it's an open table. I see some new faces and, and I want you to know that uh, it's an open table and if you hope and you uh, believe and you want this love of God, by Jesus Christ, then, then you come. You're, everybody's invited. If you, if you can't walk around the room, you can ask someone next to you. I'm sure they'll be glad to get to for you. But we're gonna, as we come through, we're gonna not take, but we're gonna receive. The communion servers will say Christ's body and blood for you. And we'll receive these elements. And it's, like we need food, this, this analogy, this metaphor, it's, it's, it's really a mystery of Christ's sacrifice for us. That because we need food, Christ is the food that we need. And we're, not, we're talking about food, but we're not talking about food. We're talking about our spiritual needs. And the mystery of coming and receiving is that he is the one who loves us. He is the one that is sacrificing, has sacrificed himself for you and for me. So we're going to come through. The, the, I think ushers will help you from the front, walk through the middle of the room, walk towards the cross, receive the elements, come back and just stand. We're going to sing one last song, and then I'll come back up and, and lead us into receiving communion together and in unison. So, Lord, we thank you that these are the gifts of God for the people of God, this is the body of Christ for the body of Christ. And 
your table is open for, for anyone hoping in you, trusting in you, wanting you to, to cover us, wanting you to love us. Lord, we thank you that the table is open. We praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.